Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to Grace Reformed Baptist Church, home where change is constant. Um, some announcements. You'll notice that we're upgrading some of our audiovisual, and that is not for you. It's for the internet audience so that I look better. Um, So if the screen goes dark, that means I'm speaking. Um, but we're, we're really trying to upgrade the audiovisual for the worldwide audience. If you've ever been away on vacation or sick or homebound and, and tuned in, it's just not up to par. So we're, we're trying to do better with that. A few announcements. Um, you'll notice if you look in your bulletin that it's all about the Leightons. So we have a lot of things going on with the Leightons, but next week is our fellowship dinner. You'll see it's, it's bring a pie, and there's all kinds of pies you can bring. But also in the bulletin is a proposed budget. You may find a typo in there, but let me know if you do. I've found three or four already, and I've gotten after the person that typed it up and rebuked him severely. And I believe that's all the announcements, except for pastor has an announcement. So many of these things have to do with me on these uh, coming events. I thought I'd go over a couple of them with you briefly. This outreach that we're having uh, happens to be on uh, what people would call uh, Halloween, or traditionally it's really all Hallow's Eve. Uh, in any case, we'll have about, I live in a perfectly flat neighborhood, so we'll have about 400 children that'll come by our house begging for candy. And we'll give them that. And we'll also have some gospel tracks and, and have fun with them and play with some of them. I have little games and whatnot. If you want to come and participate and be a part of that, they're going to come anyway and be there. And so it's, a, it's an easy thing for me to, to be able to um, uh, share with them Christ and some of the parents in just brief encounters. You never know. In any case, uh, we do that as every year. I've been doing that for numbers of years, and so if you want to come and be a part of that, that's fine. Uh, we'll have an open house. I think, I don't know, see Catherine at the moment. She must be working with the children, but we'll have uh, chili and hot dogs typically. You can check with her about that, and you can hang out and come and join us, and it's, it's a good time. It's a good evening as well. Uh, on here also this um, young adults night. I'm not invited. I don't know why not, but anyway. Uh, we'll have that so you, uh, you guys that uh, happen to fit that criteria can come on over to our house and check with Catherine uh, for details on that as well. Um, so any case, look forward to that. And next week, um, it is the last Sunday of the month, so it, it'll be Reformation Sunday, so we're doing uh, quite a bit on that. We like to begin our service here of recent days to focus on Christ. And so Blake's going to come and read for us a reading from Mark chapter 2 and into Mark chapter 3. And encourage you your heart as he reads to us this section of scripture that our focus would be on Christ and, and his life. So Blake will come now and read for us. We'll begin our work. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, 
And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees who were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and as a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he, and he said to him, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm or to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that, all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who were diseased pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him through uh, those who were desired, who he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, son of thunder, sons of thunder, Adam and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Thank you for the reading, Blake. Let's prepare our hearts now to worship Jesus Christ this day. I want to give you a moment privately where you're at to prepare your heart. Think on these things. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Ask for illumination of the Holy Spirit that you might be able to hear and then heed the very words of Christ this day. Take a moment privately and then I'll pray for us corporately. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this sacred hour that we can gather together to hear your word. We're thankful that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that he would be exalted in all that we say and all that we do. I pray, Father, that you will give us a great 
degree of delight and worship in Jesus Christ beyond what we could imagine. I pray that our assurance and confidence in Jesus Christ would be bolstered by our fellowship one with another as we sing out praises to your holy name. I pray, Father, that if there is any who is truly not regenerate this day, I pray that you will show your glory to them and that they might indeed truly confess Christ as Lord. For those of us who have indeed done so, I pray that we would not be apathetic in how we think about Jesus Christ, but that that would be the center of our thinking and our soul even this day. I pray for those that carry burdens and griefs, anxieties and difficulties, dealing with disease, whether here or listening in. I pray, Father, that you would grant them great comfort. We do pray for healing and health, but ultimately that their minds would be fixed on Jesus Christ and the promises that you have accomplished in the past, that you have uh, bear with us even now in the present, and what you have promised for the future. We pray, Father, that we would be lifted up and find great joy and peace in Christ, a joy and a peace which is really beyond our own comprehension. And give us a great um, state of um, steadfastness in you because your love is steadfast because your faithfulness continues on and on even in this day give us great joy and delight this day as we sing to worship praises to your holy name we pray this in christ's name amen Let's take our hymn books and stand and turn to number 98. We'll sing the great hymn, Come Thou Fount. John 1.16 says, We have all received grace after grace from his fullness. Amen. Number 98. Oh, 
238. 238, beneath the cross of Jesus. Lead me to a rock that is high above me, Psalm 61. Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. If anyone would come after me, he would deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9, 438.
The scripture reading today is on page 521 in the Pew Bibles from Psalm 139. Now sometimes we get a phone call, but it turns out to be like a, a robo-telemarketer. And even with all our t connecting technology, there's a lot of loneliness. Uh, but at the same time, there's tension in the human heart where we want to be known, want to be loved. Yet at the same time, it's scary for someone to see and to know us. The secular singer Perfume Genius has a song where he sings, you would never call me baby if you knew me true. And these longings uh, can be fulfilled in God who does uh, omnisciently know all things and in the gospel who can love uh, even us. Because on this side of the, the garden, uh, in this life, there is no more. The, the naked and without shame is, is not a thing uh, until we are uh, in, in glory. And Psalm 139 isn't just a dry theology book, oh, God possesses omniscience, but it's an in-your-face theology because it's God knows you and God knows me completely. In this uh, first section, uh, we uh, see his omniscience. You have searched me and you know me even before a word is on our lips. Uh, he, know, he doesn't just know everything you say. He'll know what you say before you say it because he even knows all of our thoughts as well. And in the next section is his uh, omnipresence, that he is everywhere. We can't run away from God. Some have tried, uh, like Jonah. Uh, or uh, the reason why there is so much secret sin uh, is because we might fool ourselves into thinking that God is not with us, although he really is. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. Eight. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. But even in the third section, we could even see uh, his omnipotence in a sense because this is more than just the shallow uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life and as if just that was evangelism because there's even more to it than that if uh, even before we were made he knew us and he has a plan for us uh, that it was that it's written in his book Derek Carson said that God's uh, omnipotence largely precedes his sovereignty meaning that he can do anything with his power so he does exactly what he wants to with history. There's purpose in you that even bef uh, when you're in the mother's womb and even before that, he had a plan and a purpose that for uh, many of us uh, includes uh, being saved and to know Jesus and to live with him forever. And even the good and even the bad in our life is a part of his book and wise, uh, good plan for us. And even us as Christians, we just went through, well, we could look at it this way as God has uh, been revealed in this, his son. We just went through John where, we, where Jesus said, oh, Nathan, I saw you under the tree. Or when Peter, uh, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know all things. You, you know that I love you. Or in Matthew, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Psalm 139 with the ESV title, Search Me, O God, and Know My Heart. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be a night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Heavenly Father, uh, even after Roe being overturned, there's almost incalculable numbers of abortions in our nation in an ongoing way. And we plead for mercy and uh, that you would grant us uh, a national repentance. And we pray for those innocent unborn that, are, that you have made in your image and that you love. Uh, we pray that you would be merciful and uh, allow uh, abortion to be uh, ended in our nation, O oh God. And personally, uh, we pray that you would uh, search our hearts, not the navel-gazing of uh, modern uh, kinds of New Age spiritualism, that, uh, but uh, the God that made us, that knows us better than we know ourselves. We pray that you would uh, be the shepherd of our souls. And we pray for our church as well and our families. We just read some imprecatory psalms that we, we don't pray imprecatory psalms every day, uh, but you are the God who made us and knows us and loves us. So I pray that you would foster in our hearts a, a holy zeal and loyalty for living a life before you, O oh God, uh, whether that's raising our children in the admonition of the Lord or giving in the offering that we're about to give or praying uh, for 
our brothers and sisters in our church body. Uh, help us to have uh, the zeal and loyalty of one who is so thoroughly loved. So we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Revelations 5 tells us blessings and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's stand once more and take our hymn books and turn to number 22 and we'll sing We Will Glorify. Number 22. We will glorify the King of Kings. in church and hallelujah to the king of kings lord of lords jesus christ and i hope that is your testimony every day to sing praises to him that's what the halal in hebrew means is to praise and of course the yah is yahweh or god's name and we praise Jesus Christ, who indeed is God. Our text this morning will come from Hebrews chapter 3. I invite you to turn there, Hebrews chapter 3. 
The book of Hebrews, as we've mentioned, is about the supremacy of this one, Jesus Christ. And the call to this morning is simply to believe that, to believe it today, to believe it now. God calls his people to believe the word of Jesus right now. The section that I'm going to focus on is from verse 7 to 14. This section is the second of the formal warnings that is in the book of Hebrews. If you remember, we've been through it in chapter 2 already. Chapter 2, 1 through 4 is the first warning that comes up. And the warning <coughs> is against drifting away from the very word of Jesus. Today, the focus will be on a warning of disbelief, that is, disbelief specifically, the very words of Jesus Christ. And you'll find that warning, really, from here, verse 7, all the way to chapter 4 and verse 13. We'll unpack it over the next few weeks. The third warning, by the way, you'll find in chapter 5, beginning at verse 11, continuing all the way to verse 12 of, ch of the next chapter, chapter 6, and it deals really with the dullness to the word of Jesus. And then chapter 10 and verse 19 through 39 speaks of another warning, the fourth one that's given in this book, and it's formally despising the very word of Jesus Christ. And the final warning comes in chapter 12, 14 through 29, and it is a defiance of his very word. These warnings in and of themselves can be very difficult to understand if you just took it out of its context. It's, it's in a warning against apostasy. And so the question sometimes comes about, well, to whom is this being addressed? This warning of drifting, disbelieving, dullness, despising, and defying the very words of Jesus Christ. I think it's best to understand, as we've set this up from the very beginning, that this book, the book of Hebrews, really is a sermon. It's an apostolic sermon, the kinds of exemplars that would have been preached during uh, uh, the time of the apostles, and this is very likely Paul's sermon that is recorded by Luke. That's just my <coughs> understanding of it. The author isn't mentioned or emphasized because the topic is emphasized, and that is Jesus Christ. The preacher is, stands in the background. Christ is in the foreground, and that's what you get when you read through this gospel, So the, this uh, sermon. And so here you hear time and time again a warning Oh, another warning and another warning. Imagine a congregation to whom he's preaching. People in different stages of their understanding of who God is. And so here is a great warning to them specifically. The apostasy that they would have been dealing with, these Hebrews, if you will, recent converts to Christ, those who left Judaism now, coming to Christ, and the warning is, don't go back. Don't drift away, if you will. 
So the excellencies of Jesus, of who he is, is mentioned time and time again. He's better than all that came before. He is better than all the prophets who spoke before. Now you have the Son coming from heaven who speaks. He is better in in chapter 2. It emphasizes than than all even angelic beings who came and brought the law and and, uh, were perfect in and of themselves, who came as perfect messengers. Well, Christ is superior to all of them. Now in chapter 3, it's identified where, where Moses is mentioned. Moses, in their mind, would have been the, really the greatest spokesman of God up to that point. Some even thinking Moses greater than angels. Well, here Christ is mentioned to be highly revered, far above Moses. This second warning that he gives then, In chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, is a warning of unbelief. And that brings the question then, who does this actually apply to? Is this for an unbeliever to hear only, or is this for a believer? And some wrongly conclude, well, it's for believers who were brought here together, who left Judaism because he doesn't want them to quote-unquote, lose their salvation. We've already addressed that to some degree last week. Others think, okay, well, this is just for unbelievers, and since I'm a believer, it really isn't much of a message to me. Both ideas are wrong. This is a, a message in a, in a sermon about the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ, and the message is for all men. For unbelievers, it is to repent and come to Christ. For those who have repented and in Christ Jesus is Lord, is to recognize that in the reality of your day, every life, of, of your life, every day. To, to live a life of confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. It isn't a warning that for those who are truly regenerate that somehow you would lose that work that Christ had done. You remember he already solidified that in chapter 1 by saying that Christ made the propitiation for sin. And when he did so, he sat down on the majesty on high. It is Jesus Christ who, if you're in Christ, who sanctifies you and makes you then a holy brother. It is his work that is done. But the congregation then and the congregation even now is made up of both believers and unbelievers. And many can very well be deceived. And so it is a warning for unbelievers to hear and be saved. It is a warning to believers to hear and be sanctified, that is, to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. It is possible, by the way, that you may think that you are a believer. I'm sure many of them did, and discover that they are not. Repent, receive the blessings of Christ that are granted to you. He will not turn away, by the way, for anyone coming to him and asking for forgiveness. 
On the other hand, you may be assured that you're saved and you desire to grow in grace. Be sanctified. Hear the very words of Christ. I'll read it in its context. And in fact, I'm just going to go ahead and back up and begin at the beginning here of chapter 3. So it sets it in the context of Jesus being greater than Moses. And then our focus will be from verse 7, and we'll see if we can get to at least verse 12 today. So I'll read the text for you, beginning in Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, now listen, he's addressing the church, the redeemed, see it? Holy brothers who, are, who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So he's saying Jesus is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things which were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And note this, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and are boasting in hope. So that's a transition to this warning statement, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I do pray. May you take the very words of Christ to our heart today, that indeed we would all hear your voice and heed your word this day. May we believe in Christ's name. Amen. The text, verse 7, today if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, verse 8. This is a text here that specifically warns against unbelief. That is, disbelieving the very words of Jesus Christ. 
It is a warning, as I said here, to notice the unbelieving heart, verse 12. It's a word, that unbelieving heart is a word from which we get the word apostasy, turning away from the very word of Christ. So how do we respond, by the way, to this command not to harden our heart, not to apostatize, not to turn away from the faith? Notice the book ends, verse 6, with verse 14. They are parallel with one another. Do you see that? We're his house. It's how, how, how will you know your evidence of it? We're his house. We talked about that last week. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. This is an expression of faith. Faith in Christ re, uh, creates confidence. And the, the boast that you have is in the hope of Christ and nothing else. And then notice how it parallels in verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. That is, you're in his house or sharing in Christ. Same concept, worded slightly different, but same uh, result. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That is evidence of the believer. They would hold their faith confident to the end. That this would be characteristic of their life, faith in Christ. And the way it's expressed here is today. So hear his voice in that respect today and then take heed for yourself today. Notice verse 7 and we'll expand on that. It says, therefore the Holy Spirit says. And then what follows here in the text through verse 11 really is a quotation from Psalm 95. We won't read it because it's essentially duplicate. So if you go read 95, you're going to essentially read 7 through 11 here. The preacher of Hebrews now goes to a cross-reference, which is a good idea when you're preaching truth, is to verify what you're saying by what you know is true. And here he calls it the Spirit actually saying what? He's quoting Psalm 95. This is a thousand years before this sermon in Hebrews is actually preached. From this point, this is about 2,000 years ago when we're hearing this preacher from Hebrews that's written here. That David in the Psalms is quoting an event in Psalm 95 that occurred about 500 years prior to penning Psalm 95, he's quoting an event that you will turn to in a bit from Exodus chapter 17. Why am I making this point? Because the call is in the present. Hear what the Holy Spirit not has said in the past, but says right now. And when is it relevant? It is relevant today. The very present time. By stating here, it is indeed the, the Holy Spirit that is communicating this. He's providing the authenticity of this command to hear right now and today a timeless truth that occurred 
of a, even using the illustration of this event that occurred quite some time ago. This word in Hebrews, this word in Psalms, the word that is recorded in Exodus, all of it is the very word of God that is spoken through, notice, the Holy Spirit and still communicating today. That's what makes the scripture so timeless and dynamic. It's not like a book that goes out of print that needs to be revised. It never needs to be revised. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is indeed settled in his heart because it has been communicated in truth by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I invite you to look. We'll take a little side journey here to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, if you went, want to. I'm going to focus on verse 21, but, you know, I've thought about this. And I think maybe I should put this in context to understand how God's word is communicated and why it is relevant even now. Peter would recall what was going on. Peter's an apostle of Jesus Christ communicating these great truths, particularly about some of the events that occurred. And jump back to verse 16 of 2 Peter chapter 1. And he says, We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, we, we didn't make any of this up. This didn't come from our own mind. This is something unique, what you have before you. You know what? There's nothing else like it, by the way. Th this instead is, when he makes known this, he testifies here in verse 16. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So here is somebody penning this text here who actually personally and physically saw Jesus Christ and all the events that went about it. He calls it his majesty, another way of speaking about glory in Christ. And then he points to a particular event in which he was present. We call it this um, transfiguration, verse 17. He said, when he receives, speaking of Christ, honor and glory from God the Father, and a voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. They heard a very voice of God from heaven. He is an eyewitness to it. He's writing this down and penning these very facts. He says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. It's holy because Christ made it holy, sanctified, set it apart as a unique place and experience in which they had. But notice the shift here in verse 19. But we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What is more confirmation than an eyewitness to the account who heard it with a group of others. Something is more sure. Something is more certain. What indeed is that? And before he explains what that is, he says, you know what? You will do well to pay attention to this. 
like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. There is a unique dynamic of uh, uh, illumination and understanding of who Jesus Christ is by this more sure word. What is it? Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, that's what it is. It's this right here. Do you wish to hear the very voice of Jesus Christ? It's on the pages of this right here. And you can know this for certain. Even the apostle Peter, who said, I heard this voice for heaven. But I'll tell you what's even more sure than that. That's this scripture right here. Why? It doesn't come from one's own interpretation. In other words, he just didn't make up the story in his own mind. He didn't write this down the way he thought it might be. Something occurred that is supernatural and dynamic. It is the very Holy Spirit, and he'll explain it in verse 21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. How was it produced? How did it come forward? But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No wonder, he says, the Holy Spirit says... He, he said it then. He said it 500 years later. He says it 1,000 years later. He says it 2,000 years later. Right now, what you're hearing is the very word of God. This is one of the reasons, beloved, we, we, we read it as a regular part of our service. You'll hear this interjected within the sermon all the time. That's where most of my illustrations are going to come from. Because there's no greater source. It is a source which we point back to. There are many today who will claim, oh, well, I have heard from God. And I have a word from God. They'll point to some mystical experience perhaps they have. How do you know? How do you know it isn't really a word from Satan? How do you know it isn't self-deception? I'll tell you how you know. Right there. A more sure word of God. This word that is written honors Christ. It is the word of Christ which we're calling people to believe. It is amazing to me. People will believe all kinds of nutty ideas about stuff. Just because somebody has a thought and a feeling and and an inference on something, and they can tell you this or that, that doesn't honor the Son or His Word. This is objective truth in the Word of God. And do you remember how the preacher of Hebrews began making that his point and his focus in chapter 1? He says, well, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. This revelation given to us of God by the person of Jesus Christ It is complete. 
It is finished. It is final. And can I tell you that? It is sufficient. You don't need another source. I just thought that this 3.16 of um, 2 Timothy. Paul is recounting with his protege, Timothy, and, and that from a childhood he's acquainted with the sacred writings. We've been talking a little bit about that in our parroting class, hasn't it? You're sowing these good seeds. It will come to fruition. As a child, you, you, you were acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about the scripture, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he explains what this very thing is. He says all scripture is breathed out by God. They, we call that the doctrine of inspiration. It could rightfully be called the doctrine of expiration. That's the idea. Breathed out by God. The very word of God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's where we say it is sufficient. No wonder people would want us to go and hear another voice. Can I tell you whose voice you need to hear today? It's Jesus Christ. Believe his word. Do you say, I want to hear, I want to find it. Where, where is it? Right here. From the beginning to the end, Jesus would even say, you know, you, you hear about Moses. Well, that's good. He spoke of me. Hebrews here, you have God speaking, speaking through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, the very triune God speaking in his very word. It is the instrument, beloved, by which you're going to come to faith and continue in faith. That, that's the emphasis on believe this today. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, Romans ten seventeen. We explain it, we read it, admonish from it, exhort from it through the Holy Scripture, the very word of Christ. Hear him, hear him in his word. When? Verse 7 in our text, Hebrews 3, 7. The time for faith is today. Notice, today, if you hear his voice. As, as I've mentioned, this is, this is a record from thousands of years ago. But it's the Holy Spirit speaking now. That's the dynamic of the proclamation of God's word. It isn't the skill of the proclaimer. It is the very work of the Holy Spirit. Today, if you will hear. Today is a way of saying, the way I understand it, is simply this. You want to use a different word? Now. Today is the present. You understand tomorrow never comes. Go to sleep tonight and wake up. And what day is it? Today. Every day that you open your eyes and you're conscious and awake is today. It, it isn't tomorrow, it's today. 
It isn't tomorrow I'm going to do this and that. I'll, I'll get my house in order. I'll do what's needed to do. I've got some other things to do right now. No, the, 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 the admonition is that right now that's all you have. And, and for those that may be committed and confessed to Christ, they might look back, oh, you, yesterday this is what I did and, and I'm satisfied with, with what I did. The preacher of Hebrews would say, no, today, right now, this very moment. It is a call to, to wake up and to live in this sense of urgency, to, to believe right now, to believe in all of his promises, all that Christ has taught, always. It's a warning for the unbeliever to confess Christ right now. You don't know what tomorrow might bring. There's a famous illustration where Moody was preaching and he told the folks, well, you guys come back tomorrow to make a decision about Christ. And I was told that tomorrow there was a great fire. Perhaps you've heard about it. And many perished in Chicago. And he said he was convicted at that point he would never give anyone an option to think about it Tomorrow, because you know why? Tomorrow is never coming. All you have is right now. All you have is today. And for those that are believers and, and would, would like to be sanctified and grow in grace, this is a, a warning against great apathy, if you will. James would call on the church to live in the present in James chapter 4. He puts it this way. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go and do such and such and spend a year there and trade and make profit. In other words, just going about your life and you got all that planned out. Yet you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. What's your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. The preacher of Ecclesiastes put it this way, Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's like a breath. It's here today. It is something, and yet it's nothing. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll, we'll live, and we'll do this and that. that that's the imagery here giving about having faith today, that live in the recognition of God and his, his will and what you do in accordance with that. As it is, James charges the church, you, you boast in your arrogance. Arrogance and apathy. And such boasting, he doesn't mince words here, is evil. Because if you know what the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's sin. Do you know it's right to confess Jesus Christ as Lord? Do you know it's right to continue confessing him as Lord? And yeah, what do you do when you fail? Well, you, 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 ask, you go to confession to Christ and he'll forgive you. He'll bring about restoration. Th this is what we're talking about in faith in Christ. And the time for that, that kind of real, genuine faith is right now. Today, if you'll hear his voice, this 
hearing in verse 7 of chapter 3, it's an expression of faith or belief or trust. That's what it means to hear, to understand it for sure, but then to act upon it. That's what it truly means, just not an intellectual assent, but where you recognize the reality of this truth, where you believe what all God has promised, all that he has done in time, and all he has promised to do in the future, and all that he has promised right now. The warning comes in verse 8 of chapter 3. It says, don't harden your heart. Failing to hear the words of Christ, to believe, to have faith now, right now, at this very moment, and always in the present, to have faith, a lack of faith is going to lead to a hardening of your heart. It makes it more difficult to hear. Paul would describe this as a, as a seared conscience, if you will. If you, will. It, you can turn there if you want, or I'll read it from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul gives warning to his young protege, Timothy. He says, you know, in the latter times, that is in days ahead, you know, because they, they, in the apostolic age, they, they were preaching Christ and people were now coming to Christ, but then the warning was that they're going to turn away or apostatize. This is an emphasis throughout the New Testament. He says, well, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, says that there is going to become a time for one, and First Timothy is where I'm at, people will depart. That's apostatize from the faith. They'll do what? An example is they'll devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That is, those things that aren't true. And let me tell you what. You want to fill a place up? You want to sell a lot of books? You want to become really popular? Just teach the doctrine of the devil. It'll work. People like that because it's all about themselves. That's the core of it. It isn't about Christ. It isn't about sacrifice. It isn't about submission to him. It's about self, ultimately. These teaching of doctrines, deceitful spirits. And by the way, I'll never finish this, but there is next week. This, we're coming up with a time, people call it Halloween. We're trying to redeem it to some degree, I understand. But, you know, you might see in your neighborhood or around, you're going to see all these little weird uh, caricatures, quote-unquote demonic, scary, spooky things. They're just cartoons. You know what the devil looks like? Something really nice. Looks like an angel of light, a messenger of God. That's what they look like. And that's why it can be so difficult and deceitful. It, it isn't so obvious. Looks like a nice person, a nice idea. But it isn't the very words of Christ. And so there is a great warning and yes, this is going to happen. And this is why the message would be relevant to the church to today listen to the very words of Christ. And don't harden your heart. Like a searing iron, Paul would describe it in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 4. Through the, in, the, in, um, 
insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Failure to hear or believe the truth makes it more difficult to believe. So, so you hear it, and that's why the admonition is now, right now, because if you don't respond positively, it's just going to harden your heart and make it more difficult. Those teaching false doctrine are desensitized to the truth. It's, it's no, no longer very sharp to them and discerning between the joints in the mirrors. They have, they have deceived themselves. He just gives this little example of it. It isn't all there is, but here's something in their day, an example of teaching that is opposed to the very words of Christ in verse 3. He says, well, they, they, they forbid in marriage. By the way, that is God's design for male and female. That's the default position, that they would get married, that they would have children and raise them up to the glory of God. No, no wonder our society is so culturally against that. And beloved, I, I say that's another thing we should really strive to forward. Uh, no one's... No one's forbidding it in, in our day, but they, they're putting a lot of obstacles to it, particularly when it's not promoted, particularly when you kill some of the children involved or mutilate them or encourage them that they, they, they don't need to be in, in this kind of arrangement with a male and female forever. I digress. He goes on, absence of food, abstinence from certain foods. And, of course, they were under the dietary laws with, uh, uh, under uh, the Mosaic Covenant, which has now been supplanted by the New Covenant, of course. So he says, God created and received with thanksgiving for those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. You want to have a certain diet because you uh, think it's better for you and healthy, and it probably is, that's fine. But this idea here is that you're going to do certain practices that are going to somehow commend you to God. It isn't. This is unbelief. Unbelief in what God has actually said in his word, which is get married. And food isn't going to make you righteous. Christ is going to make you righteous. So verse 8, don't harden your hearts. Back to Hebrews 3, an act of unbelief. Don't harden your heart. And he points to as in the day of rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Verse 9 of Hebrews 3. Now to us, I think it might be helpful for us to go back and look at this event. To them, it would have been very familiar. That is to this Hebrew audience because they were brought up in Judaism. They understood this event very well. David had written a psalm about it and we're not as familiar, so I think we should take a look. So I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 17. This is the example in which he points to. 
and uses as an illustration to the church, he says, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart like they did in the rebellion. What's the rebellion? Exodus 17. Children of Israel are in the wilderness. The congregation then of the people. They moved on, verse 1 of chapter 17 of Exodus, in from the wilderness of sin. And by the way, the sin is just the what it's described. It has nothing to do with the English word, although um, in providential irony, maybe it does. <laughs> but it's a Hebrew letter. Uh, they have one called sin and shin. It looks like a W with a little dot on it. Any case. According to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Okay? So, so God had delivered them, and they camp, no water. So therefore, the people quarrel with Moses <laughs> and say, give us something to drink. And Moses says, well, why do you quarrel with me? Well, why do you test the Lord? The Lord had led them there. Certainly the Lord was going to provide for them there. That, that's the issue. They didn't have faith. They didn't believe God. But the people there thirsted for water and grumbled against Moses and said, why would you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses then cries out to the Lord and said, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, pass before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile. They, they went through the Red Sea. You get it? He struck the Nile and it opened. And now they're here and they just need a drink of water. Yeah, that's what's going on. They'll be reminded of it with this rod of God's power. And water will come out of it and the people drink. And so Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah. And translation of those words would be testing and contending. They were contending with God and God's representative, ultimately God, and they were testing him as well. He, he named them that because of the quarreling of the people because they tested the Lord by saying, here, note this, is the Lord among us or not? So what's the problem that he's pointing to in Exodus 17? Unbelief. They didn't have faith. They didn't believe God. A.W. Pink has a good comment on it. I think I can't do better, so I'll just read his. I think it explains this in a bit, this whole idea of rebellion after they saw God's mighty work for 40 years, our text says. Pink comments and says, this brings out an inexcusableness and the heinous of Israel's sin. It was not that Jehovah was a stranger to them, for again and again he had shown himself strong on their behalf. The works of God mentioned here, the many great wonders which he did from the time that he first took them up out of Egypt until the time of their, of their wilderness journey. Some of them were works of mercy, 
in delivering them from enemies and dangers and providing for them things needful. Others were works of judgment as the plagues upon the Egyptians for their destruction at the Red Sea and the chastening of themselves. Still others were manifestations which he made of himself as the cloud which led them by day and night. The awesome proofs of his presence on Sinai and the Shekinah glory which filled the tabernacle. These were not works that were done in ages gone by or in far distant places of which they had only heard about. But they were actually performed before them and upon them which they saw. What clear evidence could they have of God's providence and power? Stop and think about that. Their experience, they went through it all, they saw it all firsthand. Could you imagine being there and their response when they, when they camp and get somewhere and say, well, well, we're thirsty, we don't believe God's going to help us. Has he left us? Is he even among us or not? Who, do you, who are you kidding They tempted him. The clearest evidence God grants to us have no effect upon an unbelieving heart. And I think that's true. One of the reasons they that this we have such a uh, large content of the Old Testament, Paul would say in Corinthians, it is for our example. You see, you can see what goes along physically point to that which occurs spiritually. They're acting it out. They're living it out. What is needed is faith. That is to believe God. And what more could God possibly do in their circumstance? What's their problem? They have an unbelieving heart. And by not believing, it becomes harder. And they do the unimaginable. Pink would go on and say, this is an unspeakably solemn warning. This is for all who profess to be God's people today. I agree. A still more wonderful and glorious manifestation of God has now been made of himself. More than any which Israel has ever enjoyed, God has been manifested in the flesh. The only begotten Son has declared the Father. He has fully displayed his matchless grace and fathomless love by coming here and dying for poor sinners. When he left the earth, he didn't leave us as orphans. He left the Holy Spirit so that we now have not a Moses, but the third person of the Trinity to guide us. God made known his laws to Israel but his complete word from Genesis to Revelation is in our hands. What more can he say than he has said? How great is our responsibility and how immeasurably greater than Israel is our sin and our guilt if we despise him who speaks to us today. Listen to him. Do not harden your heart. Don't test the Lord your God. 
as Jesus would respond to the devil, that very word. It's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I know at times it could be difficult to believe. It's hard. It's not going to come out by the flesh. It's not going to come out by just a deduction of the facts. If that was the case, they would all. We wouldn't even have to preach this gospel. You know what's going to bring about faith? Hearing about the words of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit working in your heart and changing who you are. And the call then here is to hear his voice. And God needs to prove nothing. He's, he doesn't have to prove anything, but he graciously has. And he's given us the Lord Jesus Christ. And the warning is great, which we'll develop next time in, in greater detail. But for the sake of the illustration, in verse 10 of chapter 3, it says, I was provoked with that generation and said they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And they didn't. They died in the wilderness physically. But it portrays something far greater spiritually. You're not going to enter the rest if you harden your heart. So listen. But not tomorrow. Do it today. That's the call. Verse 12. I'll finish on this. Hebrews 3.12. Go back and look at that. You might think it's a good message for someone else to hear. And you can probably think of several already. There's many to whom need to be called to repentance and faith. But the preacher of Hebrews won't let us off the hook that easy. Notice the target for this message. Verse 12. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, I know I disagree with many commentators who might try to make this brother somehow different and just talk to them about, in general, the Hebrews. They're, they're not holy brothers who share in the holy calling. But that's the context of this in chapter 3. It is holy brothers who share in the Heavenly calling. And then he calls them brothers here again. This, this is a message that is directed to the church. The true church is only made up of those who are redeemed. But within the congregation, there are, quote unquote, tares and wheat among. And so the charge is simply this. For you to examine yourself. I can't really know. We, we don't get some sort of secret code written on your hand. So for those that gather in the congregation to hear the very words of Christ, this challenge to, to listen today, it is a challenge then for you to look on your own heart, your own faith, to, number one, see if you're indeed in the faith. 
This call to belief, the call to believe in Christ, may very well bring you to Christ. Examination of your heart may cause you to recognize that, yes, I'm in Christ, I love Christ, but my failure to hear and heed his word today brings about a state of hindering my communion with him, my assurance in him. The call then would be to be the same. Repent, receive forgiveness, be restored to fellowship and assurance in him. In either case, this warning has a great positive effect, doesn't it? If you're on a bridge that's the halfway point is somehow collapsed, turn around. Come to safety and live. If you're not on that bridge and you're not heading that way, don't get on it in the first place. This take care that he, that he mentions here at verse 12 it is a single word in Greek. It actually means to see. It could be translated to watch. It, 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 the expression is to, to carefully examine, to watch carefully. What are you watching carefully for? An unbelieving heart that's going to be hardened by sin. The evil is sin. And so it's calling you to examine your own heart for potential hardness to the word of God. The psalmist would say, and then in response to in prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. You can pray that whether you're a sinner or a saint, can't you? This unbeliever is, is an apostate. That, that's where it's going to lead to. A road that leads to destruction. In our text, verse 12, he'll use this phrase, leading you to fall away. That's apostasy. That's where it's going to end. That's why the warning is so great. It's going to lead you away from what? The living God. In this context here with the Hebrews, they're, they're, they're being pressured to return to Judaism. They, they, they're being pressured to leave Christianity. But to do so would be not to return to God. It would be to return to an idol. It would not to be to return to the, the living God, an expression of the only true and one God. Everything else is simply an idol made of wood or somebody's imagination. The reality when you come to Christ and if you were to walk away and leave, what you're going to is not the living God. It is further away from God. He has already said that Jesus Christ in Hebrews is what? 1-3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It is Christ who upholds all things by the word of his power. It is Jesus Christ who, who by his single sacrifice, 
atone for the wrath to come. He made purifications for our sin. This Jesus Christ is the living God. Where are you going to go? Any other way is a way from the very living God. So the call is to believe. In fact, the call is to believe right now, today. The warning is then don't harden your heart. Failure to respond is a hardening of your heart, and it will lead to destruction. Providentially, our weekly verse we put out there to meditate and memorize goes with this very thing. And I'll end on this note, because I think it's a fitting conclusion. He's drawing on these themes throughout the book of Hebrews, and here we have 11.6 towards the end. Faith chapter. Notice what it says, 11.6 of Hebrews. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must, what? Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Beloved, this is faith today in a nutshell. Believe God. To believe he exists means to believe all, all that he has said, all that he has done. To believe that he exists knows that he's not going to leave you forsaken and alone. And beyond that, it says that he rewards those who seek him. Following his will, obedient to him, will result in a great flourishing called rewards here. But without faith, today, right now, this doesn't please God. It brings great grief, if you will. God calls all to draw then near to him, near to him by believing him and all that he has said and all that he has promised to do and receive the very reward of Jesus Christ himself. Let us close in prayer. Father, I do pray that our faith would be received by some, renewed and revived by others. I pray for each of us not to think about others who might need to hear your word today, but each of us ourselves in the way that you would speak to us today through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would hear and heed your word and not certainly harden our hearts. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Take a moment, beloved. We give a few minutes now for you not to respond to me but you can respond directly to Jesus Christ. You've heard him today. You've heard the warnings and the challenges and the call for commitment to Christ. Take a moment privately where you're at and respond in faith to him.
Oh, Father, I pray that you would grant each of us faith in Christ today. Amen. All right, what are you playing? You know, one of these times I'm not going to do this. this. Four, five, six. And I hope you, you like when she plays these tunes, particularly too also at offering time. It causes me to think about these glorious truths about Christ and really appreciate it. And just when it gets in your mind, then you got to go with it. So we'll do this one. You, can you indulge again one more time? What is it, 452? 456. Don't do 452. Do 456. Jerry will lead us. Let's, let's stand and sing. Affirm a foundation. Lord, you are righteous in all your ways and kind in your works. Lord, you are near to all who call upon him and to all who call him in truth. Lord, you fulfill the desire of those who fear him. You also hear their cry and save them. Lord, you preserve all those who love you, but all the wicked you will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. Amen.